Hello, you marvellous creature. How are you? Merry band of passion pod lovers, ever grateful for your earlobes. We've got another little treat for you this week, sure. Uh, this is Passion Pod 73, courtesy of Biz. What a name. K Biz was. He is a political journalist and essayist. Can't say I've ever met many of those. Uh, not going to lie, so one of the more rare ones. Biz's Passion Pod is great. If you're ever thinking about writing, you need to listen to this like you need his chat in your life. Because he's a big believer that anyone has an opinion, no matter what your background, if you spend a bit of time researching it or, you know, compiling it, that it is as valid as anyone else's. Which is really refreshing from a man that, you know, is making quite a successful name for himself doing exactly that. Uh, so, yeah, lots of inspiring chat if you're a writer. And just generally, as per usual with these bad boys, just lots of inspiring chat. It never ceases to amaze me. Uh, how much good stuff I can take from these. So fingers crossed you're getting the same. Still not got our jingle yet, by the way. Those who are patiently waiting for our new Passion Pod shape music, I promise it's on its way. All I'm saying is new year, new us. <laughs> Slash, there's nothing going to be different. Just maybe some new tunes. Uh, so thank you very much for your patience. I think that's quite enough of all the admin chat of what's going on in our podcast creations. Time for some slightly more engaging and interesting listening, I reckon. You're listening to Passion Pod 73 with Kay Biswas. Right, Biz, let's go for it, shall we? Okay. Yeah? Yeah. So in a nutshell, when you're sitting next to somebody at like a ghastly dinner party or something like that, how do you describe what you do? I'd like to sort of say that I'm this like raconteur, bon vivant, but I just usually say I live on my own, uh, I read lots of books and I occasionally write things uh, when I come up with a, an idea. It usually takes me far too long, hate the process, but um, ultimately something gets published, <laughs> which is good. So That's... maybe a writer, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so writer, do you have uh, specific stuff? Um, so I write about a number of things in the last year. I have written about politics and society and culture and various things. And a, a few years ago, I took an interest in writing about politics and specifically European politics and the rise of anti-immigrant populism. I've written for uh, the Times Literary Supplement, The New Statesman, uh, Le Monde Diplomatique, New Internationalist, Literary Review, The Nation, the White Review and various other organisations. I also am a board member of Resonance FM, where I occasionally host panel debates on topics like sex and immigration and things all the like fun that. stuff, all the fun things, and um, just do various other things and uh, advise charities as to how better to deal with politicians and the press. Amazing. I want to talk a bit more about that later. We'll come back to it. Um, but give us an example of the sort of stuff that you've written. Where, where did it sort of kick off? I think that the first thing I ever published was on the far right across Europe. Basically, I'd spent a lot of time theorising around a, a growth in anti-immigrant sentiment, uh, far right politics. And this lovely magazine called The New Internationalists allowed me to basically bore them for about 40 minutes and then uh, they gave me about 12 pages and a cover story so I had like lots of room to fill with this idea and then I went off and met loads of politicians 
from the far right. I went to Sweden and hung out with, I think they'd just elected their first 20 far right MPs for a party called the Sweden Democrats. And I went off to the Swedish parliament and just chatted to some of them and kind of linked that in with the growth in Europe wide far right sentiment. Um, and then that just, that kind of gave me the bug. I always toyed with the idea of writing a book on the back of that. Never quite did that. Yes. But, yet, yes. I, well, I mean, I, I, I get distracted really easily. <laughs> so um, I went off to Paris for a newspaper called Le Monde Diplomatique and interviewed Marine Le Pen. And then I came back to Britain on a train and then interviewed Nick Griffin, who was the head of the British National Party. So within the space of two days, you meet two people, one of whom is disgraced, has lost his job as the leader of his party. His party has basically disappeared into insignificance. And the other one, who were incredibly close only about five years ago, both in support numbers and sort of mutual friendships, now has a shot at being the next French president. So, you know, it's interesting how quickly these shifts change. And it's fascinating speaking to them face to face. Based on reading like media reports or, uh, you know, literature that parties put out, you sort of create these um, caricatures of like terrifying racists who will hurt you. And then you meet them face to face and you're just like, oh, this is just kind of a sad, pathetic man or a frighteningly intelligent but equally kind of horrific politician who may drag a once arm's length party into the mainstream. It's rather terrifying, but really interesting on a, from a writer's perspective. Yeah, with what you do, you get to kind of indulge is probably the wrong word. I know, it's definitely the right you word. Yeah, yeah, indulge yeah. in like something like immigration. What's happening in Greece this year, that was amazing. I Honestly, know. it was such a wonderful feeling, which is, I need to know everything about this topic because I'm meeting the Prime Minister. And you're like, right, okay, you do that. And then you're sitting in his back garden, you're just chatting to some guy and he's chatting to you and you're having tea and you're like, ah. <laughs> we're not this. so different. <laughs> yes. All right, Prime Minister. Yeah. So in my ignorance, this might be a really stupid mm. question to ask. Mm. Does one need to focus then on a specific area? Like, how does that work in terms of building a career for yourself as a journalist? Well, I mean, I, I've always thought that anyone can write based on sort of secondhand knowledge. You know, we can all appropriate an opinion change the words around a bit and then react to something that's happened this week. But I've always wanted to take a step back, look at long-term shifts and look at if, there, if there's anything linking different countries. And actually, similar shifts that happen over here happen in other countries. And that pricked my interest, I think, uh, whilst I was at university. So I, I started reading about um, Europe and post-war Europe what was built, who the important figures were, um, and important events, and then realised that there was so much in common that it's just our inability to look beyond our borders. Um, I'll give an example. I think every Western European country, pretty much, has been run by a mainstream right and a mainstream left party, back and forth. All political debates in every country around migration, military, and how do we educate our children, how do we feed and clothe the poorest in society, have been raging for about six or seven decades. And the debates haven't really changed, but the reality has. So you look at um, a copy of the Daily Express from the 1950s, or like the Daily Mirror, and the same battles are being fought across the front pages then as they are now. So for someone like me, I think it's useful to see where people have shifted rather than 
where debate shifted. And I think the most important thing about being a, a writer is to come up with a unique idea. And everyone's opinion is as valid as each other. I don't really fetishise expertise necessarily. And also, I guess what you're saying is it's putting a diff- it's like putting fresh eyes on stuff that's been mm. talked about. Um, take us back a bit, Biz. You mm. talked then about going to university. Mm. So you went and did a degree. Did you always think you were going to be a writer? Was that something that you always thought about? I never really considered myself a particularly good writer at university. I still don't, really. But um, Sell yourself here, darling. Come on. <laughs> it's one of those things. So I grew up in London, and then I went to university and studied London. And I barely left London by the time I was 21. But I was really, really interested in the way that London developed, both culturally and, like, politically. In my lifetime and slightly before, I studied London from 1950 to 1980. And I was born in 84. And I just thought when I came back to London from university that there's a wider world out there and there's probably, like, millions of things that I've never even considered. So I'd like to go off and, and see it, really. And I saw that writing as quite a useful vehicle to do that and I'm lucky enough to have gone to a number of different countries met a number of really really interesting people which will help me better understand the world yeah but it opens your mind up by traveling doesn't it by by Mm. this gives you gives basically gives you an excuse doing this job it's Uh, amazing absolutely but then there's the kind of other side of it in the last years I've taken to basically writing essays for a number of publications and literary criticism and that's quite an insular job you you spend your time in libraries and in archives reading you know thousands and thousands of pages of text to try and get yourself a greater understanding of the subject you're writing about I've just uh finished a piece on Margaret Thatcher for a magazine in America called The Nation and I found myself reading about 15 or 20 books in the process of developing that sometimes just to have a better understanding of one line of what you're publishing it's like serious dedication to the cause yeah absolutely because what one could have done is just rely on cliche I mean I, I lived through the last half of Thatcherism and there have been biopics and newspaper columns and talking head clip shows and all of that. You could just rely on cliche or you could try and come up with something, I don't know, new or you could challenge a a long-held view because it's basically your only opportunity to do that. And then once something has been published, it becomes part of the canon. You know, most people ignore it, but hey, at least you've done something and it's there. It's out there, yeah. Um, tell me, it's. I mean, it's a question that obviously a lot of writers would be asked. Making a living from writing is really tough. Mm. How have you managed to get round that? Because, you know, it's it's not consistent, I imagine. Um, yeah, it, it's not consistent. Uh, I think the media economy shifted so much in my lifetime that it is pretty difficult to write semi-regularly considered articles that you're proud of and, you know, still be able to pay the rent. Uh, I know some journalists who, who do that who are just almost machines. They're working on 10 or 15 pieces at any given time. They'll probably submit something once every couple of days and they, they do all right for themselves. But they're a tiny, tiny minority. And actually, even smaller number of people can be proud of what they've submitted. So what I mean, what I would like to do is publish something vaguely considered once every couple of months for the rest of my life and find other ways of, you know, sustaining paying your mortgage and earning some cash. And what I've done the last 10 years is I've advised NGOs on how to better deal with journalists and politicians and various other things. So I've worked in disability, child poverty, public health. And what's good about those roles is not only they pay, 
they pay pretty well, um, is you get a better understanding of, I suppose, wider groups in society. Uh, like me, if you're writing about politics, you know, you get a better understanding of how people operate. You get to, you know, hold focus groups, you get to ring up professionals, you get to, you know, speak to academics and thinkers. And It ties back in yeah. with what you were saying earlier about, you know, expanding the people that you meet and the places that you're going Absolutely. now, I guess, doesn't it? It's the same sort of thing, but in yeah. a different medium, perhaps. Absolutely. I think that the media very much inadequately reflects society. And certainly in our lifetime, I think we've seen a dawning in mass culture. You know, you open a, a free newspaper on the tube and it looks like we're all listening to Taylor Swift, twerking, watching Danish crime dramas. I and know stuff you're like doing that. that every night. I'm doing it, Come but on. I don't think that everyone's doing that. <laughs> um, and I think what, what first attracted me to it was an obsession with subcultures. When I was growing up, I used to listen to punk music and dance music. Everything to yeah, be different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of weird American comedies that, you know, you'd get your friend who's gone to New York to buy you. And it just, it just drove that interest um and i feel that uh, subcultures until maybe our generation were kind of ignored certainly i think the development of subcultures played a huge role in undermining historic power dynamics in the 20th century there were never just sort of individual interest groups like the labor party were never just trade unions the conservative party were never just landowners and they had to kind of bring together different groups with different interests and form them under an umbrella I suppose. Um, so anyway, that's that's where my interest uh, from all of this comes from. I really. love it. This is so interesting. It's weird. You spend so much time procrastinating at home and then reading loads and loads of different things. And it, all it kind of does is to remind you that you are just like one person with an opinion. Yes, you like to attach yourself to different movements or subcultures or whatever. But actually, ultimately, everyone's kind of like alone and what's what's brilliant about our generation is you can attach yourself to a number of different subcultures you look at anyone's spotify playlist or uh, iphone selection and there are so many different histories behind the songs that are on their ipod there's like hip-hop which derived from a kind of dissident black american kind of poetry culture you've got punk which derived again initially from like first generation migrant reggae in the uk you've got rock music which has gone through so many different phases and reactions um, oh man it just yeah. hearing you even say that makes me think there are just so many stories though to be told mm. like, absolutely what an honor to be able to in our own different ways to be able to tell stories it does just make me think that there's like so much out there that needs to be like it's true there's a history to i mean i studied history at university i'm ultimately a historian everything that i ever write starts from like a historical moment in time but i, I feel it's something that we need to remind ourselves of these days when it comes to opinions you know you find a lot of really brilliant young confident american writers about black culture feminism trans issues there is this beautiful confidence that I think is embedded in a kind of historical struggle, an understanding that there were people before them who didn't necessarily have the platform to write confidently about their lives. In the UK, I think that we're slowly getting there. Yeah, we're, we're always just a bit behind on just it. Just slightly behind, certainly with the confidence. I feel that there's a lot of apologism when it comes to comment writers about writing about what is ostensibly a subculture. But as I said, look, there's the dawning of mass culture. Subcultures are as legitimate as high culture, 
you know. But everyone's opinion is as legitimate as everyone else's. I think it becomes dangerous when, because of, you know, personal anxiety, someone's opinion is wholeheartedly appropriated. I've just published a piece in The New Statesman about the Republican Party, and I got all of their biographies sent over to me by The New Statesman, who are wonderful, actually. And reading the opinions of 17 potential future presidents and how ignorant a lot of their views were in relation to economy, to race, to women and gay rights and all of that was mind-blowing. Why should their opinion, in my opinion, an ignorant opinion, be more valid than someone who, I don't know, has, you know, recently come to terms with their sexuality? That's just one example. Um, God, that must have been quite the read. 17 or whatever oh, it was God, of those. It, it took me ages. And <laughs> I, I, I actually, I think one of the 17 books was pretty well written. The other 16 were just, they were like, I described it as a badly concussed Richard Littlejohn column where just people were just angry at the world, just shouting. Um, God, but it's so interesting hmm. to think of it like that. That's what's so exciting about for us today. But to, in terms of what you're doing, that also, I imagine, makes it quite difficult like because you have to stand out. Would you have to be... Well, it basically means you have to be quite confident that what you say is of any worth. You could take the easy option, just just borrow someone else's view. You could just come up with a view to yourself and also realise where the holes are in your argument and then close the holes. It's not very... For me, anyway, it's not very naturalistic, the process of writing. I procrastinate over individual words and clauses for days on end sometimes. But I'll be honest, I'm proud of everything that I've had published as I say you can't necessarily guarantee that the money will flow in on the back of it but you know everything that's out there with my name attached to it I'm pretty happy with which is a pretty nice feeling right that's a pretty great feeling it's a great feeling I mean look we're talking about how brilliant this is tell us what's been Mm. challenging what have you found really challenging about uh you know following this path of yours I get bored so easily that I need to be doing about four or five things at once and I feel incredibly privileged that there are several things that one can involve themselves with. When it comes to writing, look, I'm terrible with deadlines. I just about sneak in about one minute to the deadline. But I'm quite lucky because I'm a reviewer. I'm not a columnist or a reporter. I am given, you know, a month to think about a big issue and it's just planning your time on that. I take meticulous notes on every page that I read. I give myself a couple of weeks of just research and thinking. And then I I realise that that's all irrelevant because the best ideas come when I'm in the shower or on the tube and you quickly like (laughs) rush out, scribble something down or tap it in your iPhone. So come on, Um, I thought you were going to have the answer to all this. And actually at the end of the day, we all know that's the case. It is, it's terrible. You're just staring like in the middle distance and then something wonderful comes up. Um, I finished my last piece uh, last week about four in the morning and I was I was pretty tired and Not I went surprised at four in the morning. I was pretty tired and then just something happened then you just wrote three paragraphs and went to sleep in like five minutes and it's the best three paragraphs in the piece and that's the worst thing you can spend a week and nothing can get done and you know in five minutes you can come up with something lovely um, but yeah the most important part of the writing process I, and I'm certain about this is making sure that you send it to someone who you trust before you submit it. 
Um, do you have one person that you do that with then, or do you have a mixture? Or um, I, um, it's different people at different times. But at the moment, there is another reviewer, friend of mine, who I, I send things to. He always has very very interesting ideas, and you know you reciprocate that, and and that's lovely. There's a sort of camaraderie about it, especially when you're doing something like this, which involves a lot of working on your own. Oh, absolutely. To find someone that you can kind of buddy up with, I imagine is probably totally. no bad thing. And it's wonderful because you get to read about other things that you might not know anything about. About. I get to read wonderful essays around film and music and art and stuff and he gets to read my really really boring stuff about politics <laughs> <laughs> shut up you're being all British where's your American confidence yeah, come no, on no, no there is that um, what advice have you been given that's been really, really helpful that would be a good thing to share? Um, well, apart from having, you know, a second pair of eyes at any given time, uh, I've been um, been doing some work with a, a wonderful organisation called Resonance FM. I've just been made a board member, which I'm very, very Such proud of. Such a VIP! Very exciting. But the first time I was in contact with them was probably about five years ago. I just got a call saying, do you want to do some broadcasts, never broadcasted anything in my life. And I just made a list of interesting people I wanted to talk to. And I believe that if you ask nicely, you know, and you, you know your stuff, people will say yes, and you can talk to them about it. Um, then afterwards, I did uh, an interesting show for them, which uh, we called 2020 Visions, which was an attempt to see how Britain will develop over the next 10 years. And we just like made a list of 60 people we wanted to speak to. And then I think 58 of them said yes. Actually, one of the only people who said no was Ian Duncan Smith. Um, bore off bore, Ian. Yeah, yeah, I know. But that's, this is the thing I love is, and I know exactly from doing these, it's like, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Exactly. Someone can say no. Yeah. No but biggie. People are pretty, pretty open with their time. I, last month I was in Greece and um, we had four days there. We sent some emails and we managed to meet a former prime minister, a guy called George Papandreou, Yanis Varoufakis, who brokered the Greek, were tempted to broker the Greek deal earlier this year. Lots of trade unionists. I mean, your book, I tell you, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Five years. All these people. (laughs) Yeah. You must have more bits of advice. I think it's really important to know your terrain. Not necessarily read everything under the sun, but actually kind of develop an idea yourself to think, is what I'm writing and is what I'm submitting... Is that going to be of any use to any of my audience who will read it? Or will they just find it written better, done by someone you know more intelligent in the past? If the answer's the latter, then there's no point in you writing it, really. It's quite hard, <laughs> though, that, because most people probably... It's hard to find that. Well, uh, again, it comes down to finding a sort of inner, inner confidence, really. What, what does one have to say about a subject that hasn't been said before. And my opinion is everyone has something to say about a subject that they care about that hasn't been certainly published before. People should just have the confidence to to go for it. The brilliant thing about the internet and our generation is that first-person narratives have become, I don't know, not only acceptable, but actually wanted. You live a life, you meet people, you read stuff, you spend your leisure time doing things, you're part of subcultures and communities. Why not just toss your your view out into the open and see if people bite? And what's wonderful is there are enough publications out there that will be interested in your view, whoever you are. All it takes is just a bit of trawling and finding them. A piece that I'm probably most proud of, probably had the smallest circulation of anything that I've ever written, and it took me 
yeah, a couple of months of really hard work, knowing full well that maybe only about a thousand people would read, which is quite a lot, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, I might as well just post something on Facebook and Twitter and have the same. But it was a beautiful publication. They'd given me, you know, seven or eight pages to write about the media. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it and developing it. And when you, you know, walk to a shop and see it published, it's a brilliant, brilliant feeling when people read it and talk to you about it. And you learn things after you've submitted something. It's just brilliant. There's nothing better than giving your opinion to someone and then either learning something or responding to it. I think the responding is really, really important. Because we're on a constant cycle of personal development. There's no sort of definitive answer to any of these subjects. Well, you'll constantly be learning. You know, every time I press send to an editor, I know that in four months' time, my view might have shifted or whatever. But at that moment, that's what I believed. And if it's of any use to anyone, then fantastic. If not, then they can ignore it and read something that interests them, you know. It's not hard. Yeah, it's not hard <laughs> at all. There's lots of stuff out there. You've been listening to Passion Pod 73 with KBizWaz. So how do you like them apples? It's quite the chat, wasn't it? Such cool guy to chat to. So enjoyed it. And oh my gosh, so much enthusiasm. If you ever get the chance to go and see him speak as well, I reckon that would be well worth your while. So thank you very, very much, Biz, for sharing your stuff with us on Passion Pods. Hugely appreciated it. Not long now to the end of the year. We've got a couple more left up our sleeve and then that's it for 2015 Passion Pods. I think we're going to take a bit of a break over Christmas because there's a lot of eating and drinking to be done generally sleeping but we've still got a few more so panic you not still a bit more inspiration and we'll be back for the brand new year in January next week's podder is going to be an absolute joy to share with you I've been chasing this wonderful lady down for ages she's actually a potter uh, she makes her own range hand makes her own range of kitchen and tableware and it just is so inspiring to hear someone making a career out of that in this very digitally newfangled, super technology age of ours. Um, really, really refreshing. So looking forward to sharing that with you next week. In the meantime, don't forget the website has loads more inspiration in the shape of more podders, as well as our little pollinator, which we add to from time to time. As ever, just love hearing from you. Uh, please do get in touch with us on Twitter. You can tweet us at PassionPods or find us on Facebook, again, PassionPods. Really, really keen for any feedback you've got, any likes, any loathes. It's a dangerous thing to ask for, but we are super keen for them. Um, so, yeah, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. It's a lonely old game, this. So, you know, you'd be making my day, if nothing more. Thank you so, so much, as ever, for listening. And really can't wait to be back with you next week to share Passion Pod 74.